I'm going to lay this one flat out, all right? You've got to make a decision. Either Old Testament is God moving in a way with a broken people, okay? And God is there. God exists. Or Old Testament is a recording of people doing horrible things, creating a religion and right. attributing right. it to God to justify. Right. You, you want to be mad at God and deny God at the same time with the charge that you're leveling. I know. I don't think I'm a very good atheist then. <laughs> You're right. I I'm way too angry. <laughs> Welcome to the 42 Podcast, where a Christian and an atheist sit down to discuss the meanings of life, the universe, and everything else in between. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, you evil morning person. Hi. I had a good morning. <laughs> it's nine. My, my morning's practically over. We had pizza last night, so I decided to relive my teenage years, and I had cold pizza, pop, and chips for breakfast. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right so it's morning we have coffee we have microphones turned on but i actually have a question sure. for you last week we we kind of built into a pretty intense crescendo of things yeah we did a week later i, I didn't follow up with you through text and really ask how you're doing i kind of wanted to drag my feet on that and just ask you this morning how you doing? I'm good. I've listened to the podcast, you know, by through editing, and then I listen to it another time for other reasons. And I think it just goes to show that I'm not sure you could really call me a hard and fast atheist, if we're honest. And I definitely still parceling through my feelings, I think. This is just an exploration, you know. It was just an interesting like sounding you know when you s sound in the what's in the bottom of the ocean yeah, oh, yeah sounding. sounding right i i feel like that's kind of what last week was and i was not unhappy with with the production hey i told you off mic you know i, I don't think god's done with you and i think that was a great conversation because it does show that you're asking questions and asking questions is it's better than just taking blind faith. So, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm trying to be open either way. I'm trying to be honest and to be open and to the best of my ability not let biases and emotions keep me from critical thinking cuz that's kind of my fear is that I will not be a thinking being. I will only be a feeling being. And that's not what I want. I want to be able to think through things and come to the truth. That's all I want is the truth. Well, and you know, part of that is, I said we could, I guess this is stick poking part two, <laughs> or are we moving up from sticks to bludgeons? I don't know. Oh, good question. Maybe <laughs> it's just a blunted <laughs> stick, so there's still poking, but maybe it's not so pointy. <laughs> well, let's begin, I guess. <laughs> 
So this is based kind of at the conclusion of our creation evolution discussion. It brought up some questions for me and it's directed mm -hmm. at you, but it's kind of open-ended too. Like I'm not expecting you necessarily to have all the answers, but it'd be cool if you did. All right, here's what I, <laughs> what I wrote. I will never claim to have all the answers. One of the accepted characteristics of God is that he does not change. James 1.17. Do you have your Bible on hand? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Cool. It's James 1.17 from the English Standard Version. Yes. So, he cannot gain or lose qualities or change from one quality to another, because that would be implying that he is imperfect. Do you agree or disagree? I agree with the scripture, yes. That he cannot change. Right. There's no, there's no variation or shadow of turning. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do you agree that the God of the New Testament is different slash has changed from the God of the Old Testament? If you agree, how can that be and God retain the characteristic of immutable? I don't think God changes Old Testament to New Testament. I think, I think it's a progression. Not of God, but of us. Okay, how so? As you grew up, did your parents change or did you change? And, and I know, I know this is a broad analogy because your parents did change as they grew up, but your perception and relationship with them was the greater change between. I'm not sure about that example because I know I've changed so much from my first child to my last child. The way I interact with my first son is very different from the way I now interact. I'm not sure I can follow that comparison. Well, that's, that's a progression of parenting for you. I, and I'm just saying in the broad sense. Not in the narrow, but in the broad sense. Growing up, who was the one that was doing the most changing? Your parents or you? And the analogies, all analogies always fall short, especially in concepts of God, because we're only understanding through our human means, which is to broken yardstick. Right. It's asking to measure the immeasurable with a broken tool. So in the sense that I grew up, I got older, I gained experience, I grew in maturity. Sure, I did the most changing. And that's how I view our interaction, our relationship with God. With that analogy, it's the idea that we are the ones who are in the greater state of change, okay? That's the arc of history where, as we understand God, we're the ones who are changing. Not God. God's remaining is this constant line. But we don't know all mysteries about God because we don't have that perfect relationship. So, does that you say we change, does that mean human beings are totally different right now than they were 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, that the makeup of the human has changed. What exactly has changed about us? No, not so much the makeup of who we are. We're still the flesh and blood, but our emotional and societal and cultural understanding influences are mostly different. But the original sins, the aspects of difference, keep coming up. So say, say it again. What exactly has changed? 
small groups of people who have accepted belief, true belief, and sought to work and better the world. That's the primary difference of change. That's the difference between Adam and John the Baptist? Adam and John the Baptist? So what's Hmm. changed? (laughs) I guess nothing. I would say that there is a change in the society and the cultural understandings. We've moved away from being a culture that is nomadic or having moments of being nomadic to settling. We've moved away from being ancient cultures with ancient traditions and practices. I mean, we don't have human sacrifice, as far as I know, anymore. All right. So, because... People were nomadic. That's the principal reason. Partially. Partially. Well, because people were, because the Israelis, the Hebrews, were nomadic, is the chief reason why they had blood sacrifices and why God set the rules up that he set up, why the rules were so harsh and all that stuff. That's why that whole system, the old paradigm, was well, set up. The the blood sacrifices had to lead to something. The the death of an animal for the sins of the people had to lead to something greater. And so that greater that's being built on is is the accumulation point of Christ. Christ being that sacrifice that fills all sacrifices. It's like putting a band-aid on a wound. The fact that we even had blood sacrifices though at all, you know, that they even existed. I mean, it's not unique at all to to Israeli culture. So it seems like it was a product of the times. You know, the, that concept of blood sacrifice and atoning for your sin, getting forgiveness for something so that God doesn't wipe out your whole tribe. That wasn't unique to Israel, to the Hebrews. No, but... Part of that concept in the blood sacrifice is which direction it looked. Culturally, a lot of times you would make a sacrifice to gain something. You know, it hasn't rained. You need a good harvest. You need your warriors to be blessed over those other warriors so you can win the war. But with the Israelites, there's a cultural shift because it's not that they're gaining favor. God has already said, you are my favored. But you need to do this to cover your sins. So, I mean, one is looking forward and seeking the favor of God, while the Israelites are looking backwards and seeking forgiveness of their individual and corporate sins. So let's say that's true, and we move now from this understanding that, you know, a sacrifice is kind of like getting a clean slate, like Yom Kippur. Basically, it's the Day of Atonement. All your sins from the entire year are wiped out. That's cool. That's awesome. But moving ahead now in time, people aren't changing except for the cultural acceptance of sacrifice. So is it coincidental? I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't studied it. But if it is a culturally culturally moving away from sacrifice, and all of a sudden in the New Testament... Jesus becomes the sacrifice, so now we don't have to sacrifice. It's either a cultural thing that has nothing to do with God, or God is instituting a change, because God changed. See, I'd say it's actually a cultural thing. 
it's this. Looking at that chunk and that time in history, okay? What's different? Um, technology? I don't know. You tell me. Technology. What, what is one of the greatest technologies the Romans instituted that is actually still around in some places Rose? today? Yeah. Roads, transportation, communication. It went from being ancient people wandering in a desert to progressing all the way up to this time period of advancements in in that in that main area of transportation and communication in paul's missionary journeys they think he might have made it out into spain twice i think it was twice but they his missionary journeys he he quite possibly got to spain culturally that is the other side of the world barring the jump across the atlantic and then some of the other apostles made it out into potentially as far out as china so this time period provides for if you're god culturally what could be the greatest expansion and moment to plant the seed of the church that will then blossom through that known world what i'm still seeing though is people driven change which is cool but that means to me that it does not have to have anything to do with the god who actually exists it has to do with people who are writing these books without any without god that it has to do with technology, it has to do with people, it has to do with a cultural shifting from Hebraic to Hellenistic culture, and not anything to do with okay, God's then... desire to institute a change and bring atonement that will last to a people. Okay, but that brings us to this question, okay? And this is a core question then for what you're asking is, what instigated the change then that had... We'll call it 13 men because they did adopt a new apostle and then Paul came along. So we'll call it 13. Why did those 13 men in this cultural moment go, hey, let's do this? What instigated those 13 men to make that cultural change? If if God's not they, Well, it? if God's not real, they're part of a cult. And they believed what they were saying. Sure. But that doesn't mean it was necessarily truly God. That doesn't mean God exists. It just means they were a part of a cult that they believed in. And, but that doesn't prove so, God exists. Okay, so l let's examine what the cults are of that time, all right? Because there were cults that were there. There were movements of the Hebrew and, uh, yeah, the Hebrew people. We'll stick with them. And one of the big things for those people in that time is they kept looking back to the Maccabean Revolution. This time period between when they had been conquered by the Greeks and when they had been conquered by the Romans. They had this little brief window of, yay, freedom, we rule our own country again, okay? And that was the Maccabean. When the Romans came back in, they had that taste of freedom. They had that desire and yearning for it. And out of that began the, the looking for and militant desire for a messiah. Those were the, the big mm -hmm. things that, that were the cults of that age especially in in israel oh look there's a true messiah over there and he's going to overthrow the romans right. it's part of the reason why pontius pilate he kept getting in trouble with rome because they kept having these uprisings in israel of the latest messiah trend mm -hmm. jesus comes along and what he teaches what he preaches is nothing like that it doesn't even measure into the cults of the i time. disagree you, you're making I disagree faces because it's different in a way 
It's a little upside down, but it's still, he's preaching a king, another kingdom. He is still preaching, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He, he was saying he is the king, you know? He wasn't preaching violence, really. He wasn't preaching geopolitical change, but the disciples didn't even really understand that. And so for all they knew, he was talking about geopolitical change. And that could be why Judas was so stinking confused and thought, hey, maybe if I betray this guy and get this guy arrested, maybe he'll finally do something. So I think that it was geopolitical or it was just like the other ones. It just, okay, it was dressed up in a little different clothes, but he's saying, okay, not now, which they didn't even understand, but not now, I'm going to conquer everything even death. So, but that's just the same thing as what the other cults were saying. We do have in scripture recording of what Judas's motivations though were and why. And the motivation for Judas wasn't, oh, he'll, he'll finally overthrow. This will be the moment when the uprising happens. His motivation was that he had been stealing from the money back. He had been the one in charge of it. And little by little, he was pilfering it. And so that 30 pieces of silver was an intention of, I'll make up for the difference, and Jesus will do what he has done every other time and somehow miracle his way out of the situation. Well, either way. That brings us to C.S. Lewis's core argument of, okay, the figure of Jesus, historic figure, we're just going to leave it at historic figure at the moment, but he's either liar, lunatic, or lord. And that's the core question that we have to ask historically looking at what we have in the text, looking at what we have in the cultural understanding of Israel under Roman rule, and and well, ask. Our original thought there, yes, this revolution looked exactly a lot like all the other revolutions that were taking place. There was nothing remarkable except that it was a little upside down. Except the moment that the sword is swung, okay? That the violence has been done, to start the revolution. Who swung the sword? I know you know this. Everybody knows this. Peter? Peter. So what? And you don't accidentally cut some guy's ear off. You're going for the head. You're going to cleave that dude's head in two. Okay. Peter swinging the sword is that moment of violence where that revolution can begin. And what's the reaction from Jesus? He heals the dude's ear. But he's being really confusing, though, because he's so- the one who told them to bring a sword. There's a difference. And he said, and that is going out in the missionary journey. That is more along the lines of if you're walking the road and people see you have a sword on the belt, are they going to go, hey, that's an easy target or maybe just move along? Right. Okay. So basically, I still don't see how this is any different than any other revolution, except that he has been saying all along that it's not right this second. It's not now. But he did tell everybody, I'm the king. I'm the way. This is, I'm it. I am it. Every other Messiah did the same thing. But not every other Messiah could back up what they said. And and culturally, we've seen people who have made messianic claims from cults and the like. And what they say never gets backed up. The thing is, the people who are saying things are also the people that wrote the Bible, which is a little bit of a conflict of interest. So we don't really know. Well, who would you like to have written the Bible then to validate it? I don't know. Romans? I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't matter. It just means we can't just necessarily take their word (laughs) for it. it, it Jesus did all these signs and wonders and I'm his best friend. Okay. 
Well, let's hear from somebody that wasn't his best friend. Let's hear from Pontius Pilate. Well, what about Josephus? Have you ever read any of yeah. Josephus? He talks about Jesus, but he doesn't say he was inside, does he? He talks about the rising movement of Christians and this Jesus person who was a unique point in history with unique teachings. Could be Gandhi. Could be anybody. I'm just saying... It validates some of the history that's going on around that era and around the group. Yeah, I'm not denying there was something happening. I'm saying, why should we believe that it's true? I mean, that that his that his claims. Okay, that his claim was true. All right. So let's let's play a little political game. All right. Mm -hmm. You ready? I think this may help prove kind of my point. And for the sake of this political game, we're going to go back to 2009, all right? I don't want to use any examples currently. George Bush has just left the the White House. Obama has just taken the White House. When there's a president who leaves the White House, there's normally a slew of books that come out about that president's time in the White House, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Who are you going to believe more in their book writing? Are you going to believe, say, a Democratic viewpoint of of George Bush's White House? Or are you going to believe someone who's standing right next to him Okay, and it's their the viewpoint? It's the same thing, though. It's the same exact concept. I'm going to believe the reporter that interviews both sides and has a fair view. I'm not going to I'm not going to talk to John, the beloved apostle, because he was like really close to Jesus. Like, really close. So he's not the best objective witness. I'm just saying, I think the principle applies the same. Yes, the Republican guy who's been really close to Bush is going to have things to say that I will learn. I will learn things, but I'm not going to just take him for his word. I'm going to talk to other people and get other information too. So we've kind of gotten off topic, but... So Josephus... About this time there lived Jesus a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a wise man, for he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks. He was the Christ. So now we have Mm -hmm. to look at his credibility. Josephus is an incredibly... He's a traitor. I'm reading him to try and get an understanding of history from the Maccabean Revolution to uh, around 100 century yeah. AD, somewhere in there. Yeah. 500 year time span. This guy is a good historian for that age. Mm-hmm. But he's he has a background that makes him not so credible. All right. So everything will always have a degree of suspect. It's that biased conversation that you and I have had a couple times. There's always a bias, you know? Yeah, I don't disagree. We can always find a bias. And yeah, the disciples were probably biased, but I hold that they were biased because they're standing right next to him as he's doing these miracles and going, how's he doing that? I don't get it. This is different. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I fall in it. You're not wrong to question it. Never think you're wrong to question or ask. Questions lead to knowledge. Knowledge leads to understanding. Yeah. Let's say Jesus did everything he said he did and is who he says he is. Don't we think that the person who is God acted in a certain way all those hundreds of years in coming as a human? He he, he changed in that he came as a human being because as Jesus, he could do things that God couldn't or wouldn't do. I'd say that's a big change going from being God 
and a trinity and a unity and coming as Jesus is a pretty big change in the fact that Jesus acts remarkably different than the God of the Old Testament. I disagree. What the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing was trying to make Jesus act the way the Bible said he should act. Yes, sir. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yes, stoning the woman who committed adultery. That's what the law said they should do. But he didn't do that. He took it somewhere else. He said, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. Right, that's not Old Testament. That's something completely different. No, that's that's not Old Testament. That's examining the hearts of... So the Pharisees and Sadducees are the bureaucratic nightmares of religion. Religion, okay? Because what they have done is they've taken the law and extrapolated out into this whole means of holy and righteous living where, okay, Sabbath day, you can't even, you know, lift a grain kind of thing. Where the the disciples are walking through a field picking grains on the Sabbath and they're having a fit because that's work. And what they did in dragging that woman before Jesus, okay... I really think this is kind of the preamble to that moment. As the Pharisees woke up that morning, and forgive me, this is going to be a little bit of creative storytelling with Rob. Dun, dun, dun. So I think the Pharisees and Sadducees in that moment woke up and they're going, Jesus is really being a pain. He's being a nightmare. We can't stand him. What are we going to do? And they're all sitting there. They're stroking their incredible beards. I'm not there yet. I want it longer. And they're going, how are we going to get Jesus And there's little Joey the Pharisee in the corner, and he goes, Hey, where's Steve? Everybody looks around and goes, Oh, yeah. What is it? Oh, it's Wednesday. Steve's down there with with his lady friend. You know, Steve. Doing Steve things. And they all go, Wait, we could get Steve and the lady friend. And, you know, the law says this is wrong, so let's drag lady friend out, because nobody likes her anyway. And we can be done with, you know, two birds. One stone. And so they go, they get Steve and his lady friend and drag lady friend before Jesus. I think that's the preamble to that. And then what happens in it is Jesus is examining their hearts, which by the letter of the law says, yeah, you caught this woman in the act of adultery with Steve, your buddy. You knew about it. You haven't done anything or tried to correct him in any other way. And now you're wanting to do it as an example to show that I have the same law and blood on my hands against the heart of the law which is trying to protect people trying to keep us from the depths of sin that's creative storytelling with rob out of scripture that's how i read that but that's the nightmare of the pharisees and sadducees are they are these bureaucratic microcosm law enforcement individuals here's my only issue with that i imagine only one (laughs) i can imagine what it would be like to live in Israel in the in the days, weeks, months, years after the Exodus and God is establishing his law. He's terrifying. He says you can't even look at me or you'll die. You can't even touch this mountain or you'll die. Okay, that's terrifying. We don't even want to see we don't even want to see. You go speak to God because he is a terrifying thing to behold, apparently. And then you have places, you know, like that part in the book of Joshua where that guy, his name's Achan, A-C-H-A-N. He steals (laughs) something from a conquest. He thinks it's really nice, even though God, even though Moses said not to do that. he, He does it anyway. He takes what? I don't know. A nice necklace, a vase, something nice and buries it in his tent. 
Well, they figured out who it was. The punishment for him was death, him and his entire family. Every single person would have been terrified, would have been sick to their stomach. Well, I would have been. I would have been sick to my stomach. At the the way in which this god enacts justice. You, then you go, like, look at the whole story of Phineas. There was two people um, having sex in a tent. And Phineas, actually one of them was a Midianite, that's why. Partially why, but Phineas walks into the tent and skewers them both to the ground with a spear. And then, like, a plague stopped or something. My point being that the God of the Old Testament is terrifying. Terrifying. God forbid you're a woman in that time. God forbid you get accused of adultery. So this is the culture that the Pharisees and Sadducees have grown out of. I think the reason that they have this extreme... It's kind of like, look at the, the original law in the Old Testament as like a nugget. What they did was they hedged around the nugget. Imagine uh, putting an egg in tons of cushion and tinfoil and cushiony things so that there's no possible way you can break the egg because you will die. If you break the egg, you will die. If you break the law, you will die. And that's where all those extra laws came from, I believe, because, um, hey, if you pick up sticks on the Sabbath, you're going to die. So in order to not come anywhere close to making that kind of mistake, we're going to put more rules to protect you. The Pharisees and Sadducees of, at this time were nasty people. They were sexist. They weren't nice. So I'm not excusing their behavior at all. But Jesus comes along and shakes all this stuff up and it freaks people out because they're afraid. Because the God of the Old Testament is not the way Jesus acts. Jesus is doing something completely different, completely revolutionary, because he's opening this door to what could be the destruction of Israel. <laughs> and it's terrifying. But at this point, Israel's already oppressed. Israel's already possessed by the Romans. Now, my argument in all of this is, have you ever played a organized sport mm -hmm. of any kind? What did I you play, play basketball. I hate basketball. <laughs> I know none of the rules. But in basketball, there are rules, mm -hmm. right? There are the different throw lines. There are different boundaries, rules on checking, on, on how you can dribble, all of that, mm -hmm. okay? If basketball didn't have rules, what would it be? It would not be basketball. Okay, so you need those rules. You need those boundaries that tell you when you've accomplished a, a point, when you have gone out of bounds, when you have fouled someone sure. yep. okay you yep. need that culturally we need that and the old testament is laying those foundations and they're stiff penalties because yeah you could lose your life you could wipe out your whole family line and and there's no argument on that where there are hard moments in the old testament i don't think it is speaking that god's nature is this punitive desire i think he's trying to establish the rules and boundaries knowing we're still going to go outside of them and he's trying to find a way to bring us into grace and that grace i say he's trying to find a way to bring us into grace i think he had that plan from the beginning sorry i should specify that but i think he's moving in a way that is in that plan to bring us to grace and that grace accumulates in Christ. 
so when we sit with the Old Testament, we have to sit with it with that understanding of there is a bigger plan. And that's what I see when I look at the Old Testament. There is a bigger plan. There are these hard moments. You ever hear of the one chip challenge? Uh, a really spicy chip? Yeah. So I, I actually did this as a children's moment. By the time this is up, it'll have been like two weeks ago. Me and a couple people, we did the one chip challenge and... This chip is made from, like, ghost peppers and the Scorpion X and all of these extremely world record holding hottest peppers out there. And the challenge is to see if you can eat it and not drink or eat anything to try and cool the heat. But it comes with all these warning labels. And my point in my children's moment was to say, look, there are all these warning labels. We ignored them. And because of that... Three out of four people who did this were in massive pain. I stood there and laughed the whole time. I think that's what the Old Testament is telling us, is, look, here are the warning labels. Here are the warning labels. Here are the warning labels. Please, just don't. And that's, that's what I see when I read it. That's what I see, and I see the broken stories of humanity, the, the brokenness that is, you know, the story in Judges you mentioned, the story from Phineas that you mentioned. You said, God have mercy if you're a woman in this time. And yeah, you're right. But God's trying to lay out what is the care of widows and orphans. He's trying to lay out that there's a better way to treat people. I don't get how you get and that. And yet, you have to have these... I don't get where you, how you get that from all the I, whole law. Yes, those two parts are nice, but the whole law isn't like that. No, the whole law lays out some things that when you read it, you go, oh... Are we, were we really that stupid that we needed to understand that level of what? law? Give me an example of how people were so stupid. So, which one do I want to... Uh, we'll use the bowl haircut. Why does... Okay. So, because <laughs> it's simple, okay? It, it's a simple one. But, you know, don't stick a bowl in your hair, head and get a haircut. I don't remember what that is. It's Leviticus, like, 18-ish, I think. Maybe 19 it's right in there with the tattoo. But the point of that is, okay, if you use a bowl to cut people's hair, bowls were multi-purpose instruments. Okay. Someone's going to put food in that a minute later. and that's So just, we kill it, you. It's a basic so sanitary law. Yeah, no, gonna... we didn't kill you. You were unclean. You were outside of the camp for like a week. The bowl had to be destroyed. We killed but did we really need God to tell us that? I don't yeah. think so. I think other cultures, other I cultures, so. the Chinese culture survived to this day. The South American cultures have survived to this day. European cultures have survived to this day without God telling them, don't sew linen and cotton together or something. They, they made I it. I think that was just a cultural set aside. I, and I know, I'm just saying, I think that was a cultural set aside, not a purity law. But there are other laws of uh, how we are to, to treat women and they're, they're, crude they sound horrible but i mean it's a base level of yeah okay maybe that isn't okay when you, you think about what the alternatives are or laws with slavery where it was it, it fell under the years of jubilee where you could have someone enslaved for seven years but you had to set as them long free. as they were hebrew had. as long as they were hebrew if they weren't hebrew you you could keep them forever my understanding is that years of Jubilee, you had to set any slave only, free. Only if they were Hebrew. So, Leviticus 25, and verse 39, it says, If one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. 
as a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. He, so he is not their property. He's just a servant. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers. Okay, then down in verse 44, it says, And as for your male and female slaves whom you may have from the nations that are around you, from them you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land, and they shall become your property. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you. So that's generational slavery. Hmm. It's been in there the whole time. <laughs> hmm. So that's bad. That's really, okay. really bad. And it's very cultural, and it's culturally well. accepted. That's why it's in there, because everybody did it. Was culturally accepted. Not today, and shouldn't be. Right, but that's why it was in there, because it was written by people who believed that it was okay. As opposed to, if the Bible was written now, it wouldn't be okay. That's what's so iffy, is it's people in the Civil War, people, you know, in the 1800s, and and before then, have always justified slavery, because it is totally condoned in the Bible. Absolutely. In one section to an ancient people, which, again, I don't think is the full intention of God. But then what about homosexuality? Okay, what about all those? Can you use the same justification for almost anything else in there? It was to an ancient people. This does not apply to us because they are an ancient people. Then you get to pick. No, I'm I'm not trying to pick. I'm saying it, it is to an ancient people. And it still falls under sin, and that sin has to be forgiven. It doesn't. No, no. He's giving you a law. This is what you are allowed to do. You cannot enslave a Hebrew because he's your brethren. You can enslave. Go capture, and um, in Leviticus thirty-one, it talks about the Israelites going in to kill the Midianites. They kill the Midianites, kill all the men, and capture the women and keep them as sex slaves. This is in the Bible. And that's why I think it is a product of a culture and not God. My Bible ends at Leviticus 27. Numbers. <laughs> Numbers 31. Numbers 31. So verse 31, 2. Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to oh, your 31, people. 31, 2. Yep. Sorry, I was in the, the dividing of plunder. Oh, well, yeah, down there too. But okay, verse 9. The children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts, and they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. And then down in verse 14, it says, Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman who has known a man intimately, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. Alright, so my understanding with this, or that time frame, is where we're at, physically where we're at, and who we're dealing with, and it's part of the promises that God made to Abraham and that have extended into Moses to the people of Israel and that it's the possession of the promised land and Which, it's that promise was tied to a place unfortunately for the Midianites and now we have to right they settled there 
that promise was tied to a place. We got to clear them yeah. out, which is is horrible. But it's also in that time why the Midianite girls who had not lain with a man. It was the the cultural acceptance of not cultural acceptance. That's not the right word. But it was the basic idea of they would be the ones who would not seek revenge. You killed my husband. I will kill you. They were the ones. But they who didn't could kill everybody. They took them as slaves into... too. They took them as slaves. They didn't kill everybody. They took them as slaves. And part of the the slavery process that happened with the people of Israel in that time period is that they got enfolded into the people as the generations Isn't went on. Isn't that what on. God explicitly not said perfect... not to do? Yes, but if you look at the line of Christ, that's exactly what we see in yeah, the like line of Christ. Yeah, like three or four times. It's it's not, but that's the Luke. exception. You're not supposed to do that. Is it the exception or the expected pattern? You can't live in a culture and not eventually either adapt to that culture or your culture adapt and inform you. So then you God and establishes, God tells the Israelites to do something that would even, which would, which would eventually happen anyway. He tells them to kill everybody, burn everything, even though for him, he's going to incorporate those people into his line anyway. So why not? Eventually, that's, yes. That's evil. Well, but it's this. The question is this, is if if mankind all comes from one individual, then in some way, mankind, all of mankind is worth redeeming. But how do we get to that We process? kill everybody. That's how. In that section, in that time, because there are promises tied to a land. And this is, it's not God changing. It's the people no, changing. It's, not. it's the people moving into a cultural place. It's them having a land. It's them being possessed by the Greeks and the Romans. It's them having a time period of their own kingdoms going into exile. Nothing changes. There's, it's just who was occupying the land. Why didn't Jesus tell everybody to kill the Greeks and the Romans? He didn't tell them to do that. That's not important anymore. Why? Because God changed. <laughs> Dramatically. I don't see God changing. I, I really don't. I see God moving through history. And it's mankind is bending in an arc. God is remaining So if steady. God didn't condemn sexual slavery and genocide, then he doesn't condemn it now. Okay. So I have this clear. You're saying if God does not condemn sexual slavery and genocide now... Then, then, then he doesn't sorry. now either. If what you're saying then is the true... Extrapolation, the extrapolation is that it has continued and that by that, that logic... By God's unchanging nature, you're saying genocide and sexual slavery are still okay because God does not change. I don't understand what continue what the continuing part meant exactly, but if God does not condemn if, so, sexual slavery and genocide in the Old Testament, because the Midianites happen to be born Midianites, which is a, which is which is a race and ethnic thing that makes it genocide. If it's not condemned, then it shouldn't be condemned now because if God doesn't change and he makes rules allowing for it and like doesn't condemn it at all, then it shouldn't be wrong today if God doesn't change. Okay, but that's that's looking at a small microchasm of the picture of, of the human story in scripture and saying because it was true then, it has to be true now, and that short circuits all the teachings of Christ and makes the New Testament useless. It's still, so the reason that it matters is because the God who, who condoned it, if that God of slaughter did not condemn those things. And then that same God comes and holds his hand out to me and says, hey, I love you. Eh, he doesn't have such a great track record. 
uh, I don't believe he loves me, because how could a god who loves the sparrow when it falls to the ground and grieves with those who grieves and mourns with those who mourn, how could that same god be there and be okay with those awful things? And it's easy to distance ourselves from the horror and terror of those events, but it happened. And somebody had to do that. Somebody had to swing the sword. Somebody had to actually do those things. How could God be present in that moment? The God of the New Testament. How could the God of the New Testament be present in that moment and be okay with it? If God doesn't change, the same God was right there when those babies were killed, when those women were killed, when those old people were killed. You see, it's the same person. It's the same God. So... That's what's so disturbing. I, I guess, and, and I, I think I'm picking up on where you're going with this, or where your thought is, but for me, what I look at with this is we're, we're dealing with a God who knows all, sees all. And so some of the horrors of the Old Testament are God playing surgeon. Your eyes went big on that one, but a surgeon... I've had conversations with my kids because it's fascinating on this. When you think about a surgeon, what are they doing? They're fixing something broken. Why do you use the word, the word fixing? I, I think it would be very appropriate to say that they are violently cutting into an individual. But they're not killing them, Robert. Causing harm. They're... Causing harm. My grandfather had open-heart surgery. Yep. I saw the aftermath of but that surgery. they didn't surgery. cut his head off. He hurt for a day. No, they didn't. But they cut his heart open. They cut his chest open. They used a spreader to spread his ribs you apart. You can't compare the two things. They are completely different things. One is a application of violence with intention. But we use the term okay, fix. Okay, so let's, what's the intention? Midianites are in a place they shouldn't be. Because I made a promise to some dudes, so it's okay, go kill them, because they happened to be born then. So, that's the intention. Let's use our scalpel and kill everybody. We cannot fathom what this means. No, we can't, but my, my gut read with that is that, one, they were in a place that God had promised to Abraham and the people that of sucks for them, okay. yes. It really does. Two, culturally, they are probably something that is not okay. There are examples of Baal worship that included human sacrifice, that included things that were not okay. I understand that. So, in removing that aspect of the culture now, and there's no argument, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, yay, genocide is okay, because they were... I'm only speaking to that time and what tools they had to deal with. Did God uh, love those people? Yeah. I, I okay. believe he If did. God loved those people, I would think that he would give them some kind of warning. You know? Hey guys, you know, this is going to happen. Here are some signs and wonders, just so you know, to prove that I am who I say I am. Moses gets signs and wonders to prove who he is. So let's let's do this missionary thing because because that will help get these people to move away or to become Jews, to become religious Jews. 
He doesn't do that. And in fact, prohibits warning those cities. He prohibits giving those cities mercy. He doesn't give them a chance like in the book of Jonah. He gives the Assyrians a chance. And that's in the Old Testament. So what the heck changed from this to a small, tiny little city in Israel? Tiny little city. These things were probably not even, didn't have walls. All right. So from the Encyclopedia Britannica, all right, the Midianites were understood to be an offshoot of Abraham. So they would have been familiar with Abraham's God, with Yahweh. They would have been familiar with the rules and laws and they moved away from. And I have to imagine, because I, I do believe this is how God works, is that in some way he would have tried to bring them in, to enfold them. And if I'm reading this correctly from the Encyclopedia Britannica, there are even connections of, where to go, Jethro. Jethro, Jethro was a Midianite. Was a, and he's the one who sheltered Moses. And Jethro was a, a sub-tribe So you can't say that nobody worshipped God. I'm not... You're right. But what I'm saying is, is that it looks like... Again, 30 seconds on Encyclopedia Britannica. It looks like the Midianites were people who went astray. Okay? I can't fully voice everything because I don't... I'm not studied up fully. I've studied a little bit. And even in Jericho, they let Rahab go because she did a good thing. And she helped them, and became a proselyte because she changed her ways. She became a Jew, which is cool. I don't think you can say that all the Midianites were sacrificing their babies to Moloch. I don't think you could say that none of them were redeemable because you've got Jethro and you've got his family. and they're... Right, but what if the ones that were redeemable, and these are the pieces that we miss in history. We only get, history is kind of like getting snapshots especially when we get into ancient history we only get snapshots because i think it's only like two percent of the stuff that was there is what we're able to dig up two percent and most often that's in trash heaps or abandoned yeah well they haven't found much which is another thing we'll do an archaeology episode at some point (laughs) (laughs) but even so i mean We're getting a snapshot of history, so what if there is an exodus of the Midianites? What if there is a period of warning that isn't portrayed at that point? Because we do get that in different books of the Bible where it gives us these different viewpoints that give us greater understanding and a fuller picture, but the Pentateuch, or Talmud, we we do have the singular viewpoint. Yeah. Which is Moses. And it's once we get into Judges that we start getting more viewpoints. That could be. It's extrapolation, but that could be. Well, that's what we're doing with history. But the, we could just look at what the Bible says. We could just look at what the Bible says, because the Bible says what happened. I'm not advocating for soul biblica. I'm saying we do need to look at the culture and understanding of the time. And there's a degree of speculation with history that is that snapshot and saying, well, maybe there was an exodus from Midian. Of the people who are going, yeah, no, we're out. We are out and away from this. You know, there's been an exodus of Republicans in the past month who are, nope, we're out. We're away from this. But history may not reflect that as anything more than a footnote. I still don't think it justifies genocide. Just like it wouldn't justify genocide for the Spanish conquistadors to slaughter the Mayans. So, because they also did sacrifice. So we're very clear. So we're very clear. 
Okay. My viewpoint, my understanding, these are crude tools used by ancient people in that time. I do not think that the end desire of God and his desire for all of humanity is genocide and slavery. I don't think it is extrapolations of of evil going forward. I think it is the grace that is brought in with the New Testament and that the whole arc of the Old Testament is leading to this point when that grace can go from being just Israel's to the world's. And that's why I look at, and I brought this up earlier, but that time in history with the Roman roads allowed for an expansion of grace and the teachings of grace. And even those teachings of grace. Lindsay, Mm -hmm. I got to do this with my kids this week. My son randomly mentioned the Spanish Inquisition. He's learning history. Mm -hmm. As a child of the 80s and 90s, what does that require of me? Explaining torture and... (laughs) I don't know. What does that require of you? What? You mean knowledge? It requires that that you know about the Spanish Inquisition? I don't know. No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. Really? I don't know what you're talking about. Monty Python. Oh, honey, I don't like Monty Python. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. What? Oh, we can't be friends. No, I don't like Monty Python. So <laughs> it, it required two things, and you're right on the, the first part, but it required that at some point within 30 seconds of him mentioning that, I walked around a corner so I could jump out from around the corner and go, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Fine, it's... I find it funny, but but no, you're right. The second part of it is an understanding that even in the age of grace that is the New Testament, we screwed up. The Spanish Inquisition was wrong. Yes. And there are moments of church history that are wrong. And my argument, my <laughs> my argument in this is that it is not God who is the flaw or the fly in that ointment, it's us. It's us who takes scripture and manipulates it. It's us who takes the worst of who we are and is a a crap to our fellow man. See, the common denominator is still religion and God. The common denominator of genocide in the Old Testament, terrible things happening in the New Testament, terrible things happening throughout history is, bing, 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 religion. Who are the people that do the religion yeah people but we can only work with what we've been given which is the bible so <laughs> i the common denominator is is god but but that's my i i disagree on on that the common denominator the simple one is to say do it's not god. allow a, the... a witch to live okay uh kill the homosexuals uh, this, uh, the idea right, so, of Im- imperialism oh, and being the the we're perfect genetic specimens that's biblical that's a biblical idea imperialism is a biblical idea genocide is a biblical idea slavery it's not originated in there well none of those are originated in the bible but it's a biblical idea so tell me tell me that it's i i will i will i i will ask you one question okay if, from your viewpoint, God does not exist. Yes. Yes. Okay? And everything in the Bible, who's it written by? People. 
Random people. I don't people. The same people that are that wrote the Bible have written the Bible, but they didn't they weren't possessed by Jesus to write stuff down. <laughs> we'll have to unpack that one later. But okay, so people then, if there is no God, from your viewpoint, wrote the Bible, mm-hmm. wrote scripture. Genesis to Revelation, Saul sixty six books. Yep. So then where's the problem? Is it God or is it It's people? definitely people. It's religion. See, the thing is, okay, here's the problem. It's because... But who created religion from your viewpoint? People, but they set up a system. It doesn't make the construct of God false. God is either existing or not existing. People have invented the construct of God to control people. I mean, tell me that Spanish conquistadors who come into an Indian village, South American Mayan village... And kill everybody because that's what the that's what it's in the Bible to do, and they do it in the name of God. If it doesn't matter if God is exists or doesn't exist, they believe they did something for God. So it doesn't really matter if he's real or not. What matters is they they did it because God because of the way they believe they're supposed to be. They're supposed to act. They're following a pattern. Okay. But going back, we're at a position of, if God does not exist, this book was written by people and abused by people. Right. Yes. Okay. So, that's from your viewpoint. People are the issue. From my viewpoint, I look at scripture and I say it is God written by flawed man. Okay. It's written to a flawed people. Beginning to end. Flawed people. The only people who weren't flawed were Adam and Eve for about 30 seconds in Genesis 1 and 2. From that point on, everything that God has to deal with is a broken people all the way through. So I don't see God as the one who is evil. I see it's the people who he keeps interacting with engaging in evil. Which brings me to the same point where, to me, the issue is the people. God is the one who remains constant the people that he keeps dealing with are imperfect in every way. If God is so omnipotent and omniscient, why would he go this route when it brings about so much astounding amounts of pain and suffering and people going to hell? He's the one who did it. He's the one who created the system. I don't think we need to like excuse him because he set this whole thing up. He knew who he was dealing with. He knew it when he created us and he continued to do it. And he knew what was going to happen. So he could have not done it that way. Or he could have set up some different system. Can I come up with that system? Can I tell you what could have happened? No, I'm not God. Do you want to be the final judge? (laughs) Do you want to be the final judge? The one who has that distinct final authority to say heaven, hell? No, I don't. But that doesn't mean it exists. Because that doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm not saying that I'm okay. God or I'm in the position of God. I'm saying... Well, I know. I'm just... I'm. It, well, you said, I, can I come up with that system? And I'm just going, do you want no, that final exactly. judgment? I, I final... can't come up okay. with that system. Okay. I'm not that creative. But if God has all the creativity, and if he is the same God that is today, and I'm sure he could have come up with a better, gentler, nicer system that wouldn't have involved mass genocide slaughter of babies circumcision come on i'm just saying 
why did he he if he this is the best he can do i think the best he can do is christ is is that fulfillment of christ but uh, going back all right here's my question and again I, I'll rehash my opening statement. Analogies can only go so far. There are points they break down, but I think this this fits, barring the argument you're going to make. Can you love your children any less? Yes. You can? What does that even mean? Can I love my children less than I do now? Of course I can. Of course I could. Can I? Could I? Yes, I could. That doesn't mean I do or would. But I could, it is... There we go. It is in the realm of possibility. It is in the realm of, like, what could happen. Of course, I could be... I could be some deadbeat. I could be something other than I am. Or, like, be mentally ill. I'm saying you. Right. I'm saying you. You, Lindsay. Not you, mentally ill. Not you, deadbeat. You, Lindsay. Are you capable of loving your children any less? I, I still don't. Not barring other extreme possibilities. You love your children. I love my children. Is there anything that they could do that would make you stop loving them? I don't think so, but I think what if they, like, killed the other three and (laughs) cooked them for dinner? (laughs) Would I love that one any less? I think I might. I think I might take issue with that a little bit. I'm just saying, could I? You know, that's like, that's really big. That's a really huge, what could exist, what could happen. I don't know. (laughs) But even, even at their worst, as, as a mother, I don't think you would be capable of not loving your child. Even at their worst, because you're a good parent. And I think that's a, a statement that a lot of good parents can relate to of my child could turn into something horrible but i'm still gonna love them and that grief may break my heart i i think we see that in the scripture you sent that was the originator of the question of can god change that grief can break god's heart doesn't mean he changes i think it's that he continues to love us as a broken people He's trying to work with us as a broken, psychotic killer who keeps killing his children. And that, you know, he he went so far as to, to send Christ to a bloodthirsty people who, hey, you know, you want to play out your analogy further, killed and now eats but the, Christ. Yeah, okay, but the rules he established are just as bloody. And now he's telling us not to be, not to do those things. Actually, he's not. He never said that. He never said... Anyway, I don't know. To me, it just goes round and round. He said he didn't come back... He he said he didn't come back to change the law, but to fulfill the law. And it's that. It's not a, the law has changed, things have changed. It's the law has been fulfilled. But doesn't it also say that not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until God's kingdom comes again or something? Dot or iota is actually more uh, a better translation because dot and iota are. Okay, actually... wait, wait, wait. That's not the point. Is it the point? Yeah, actually, yes, it is. Yes, it is. The dot and iota is actually a Hebrew form of literature. They are functions of reading the law, reading the the words of Hebrew. Okay, 
So he's saying that these two smallest pieces of the language, these things are so valuable that they are not even going to be moved. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. That doesn't change what I said. Well, I'm giving the force of it. I'm being, I'm being me. But he said he didn't come to change it. He came to fulfill it. And what's the fulfillment of the law? According to Jesus, Jesus. You sin. So what has to happen? Maybe that's the Somebody has to die. So, Jesus is going to die instead of you. It's still bloody. It's still bloody. There's no arguing that, but it's it's that blood that is now once and done. It's not a continued need for animal sacrifice. That's the way I'll phrase that. So, I, I won't deny, and I'm still going through the Old Testament. I read the Bible about four times a year. Wow, that sounds really bad. (laughs) Let me rephrase that. I read cover to cover through the Bible about four times Mm -hmm. a year. Okay? Every time I do this, I've been doing this for a bit, I still find parts where I'm like, whoa, that's in there? Mm -hmm. So it's, to me, I look at it and I go, it's an understanding of broken people and a whole God. And the story that is people, that is us, woven through is dark and hurtful and challenging it's not pleasant to sit with you know not only the midianites were wiped out but multiple other people jericho crumbled people died a lot in the old testament and it's not always comfortable to sit with it really isn't the spot that i have come to with it is that in the end i'm not the one who has to judge that i'm not the one who holds that final judgment I trust that God is bigger, and I I see this in scripture, that I trust that God is bigger than, and him being bigger than, he's able to, and I used the analogy earlier, he's able to, as the surgeon, remove and guide. That, in no way does that satisfy you, apparently. I don't know what I'm missing. I Um, don't get it. I... To me, it's like you have an abusive father who beats the crap out of you your whole childhood. And and then all of a sudden, he's like, but I love you. I'll die for you. Okay. You need to accept my gift now. Now you need to accept my gift or you're going to go to hell. (laughs) I just... I, I must be missing something. I just, I don't understand. It doesn't, I can't swallow it. I can't do it. <laughs> I sent you a book. I know. I, I want to read it. I still haven't read it. You need to But read I want to know if she really, uh, this does is... she, well, read the title. Go ahead. Read the title. Okay. So over the summer, we did a book study as a church called Inspired by Rachel Held Evan. And she goes through and she wrestles with some of these darker stories and moments in the Old Testament because in a lot of ways she was hit by those same things of how is this, how do we have these dark moments but these bright moments, what is the true nature of God, what what are the value of these stories if they are so hard to sit with? Which is why I sent it to you because I think it will speak to some of those questions better than I can. Mm-hmm. Because I made my peace in, I'll be honest, a very unpoetic way of, I see God as as the overarching surgeon through time and space, and he's guiding us as his people, little by little. 
I would like to read the book because I am interested, but I just have a hard time believing she's going to face the nitty-gritty gory details that are in the Bible. You need to read the book. You need to read the book. I, I'm an empath. Um, I'm pretty good at putting myself in other people's shoes. And it's that abil- it's that putting myself in other people's shoes that makes me so queasy about it. Imagining the terror and the grief and the devastation that these people went through. If God cares about all those little instances in our lives, doesn't he care about all those little instances? That's all. Is I think we should care. I think we should care. And, and Lindsay, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm not trying to dismiss any of, of those stories. They are hard stories to sit with. And, and the piece I have made is that, again, it's, it's God's got to know. God's got to be able to see how it all plays out. Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't, and this is just, again, us being us, then I'm right exactly exactly that's what's so confusing about this rob that's what's so hard about this is that you're desperate to hang on to it you're desperate to hang on to it and i get that but doesn't that cloud our thinking that desperation like you're you would you would never apologize for anybody else this way or justify or explain away this behavior in any other being but because he says he's god then the inexplicably horrible becomes explicably like uh, doable <laughs> you know what i mean like we're it's just it's that desperation to hang on to it that that makes me like step back i i think i understand what you're saying i don't feel like i'm desperately hanging on to it i don't i feel like i'm looking at the human story and saying, we're horrible to each other. I, I think we can see that in the past 12 months. That we can see moments where we're horrible to each right. other. And for me, I have to look and say, if this is the best, again, 2021, and the best we can do and offer is humanity, that's sad. But I have hope that there's something bigger and greater than me, God, and his work through Christ. I, I don't feel like I'm trying to justify. I feel like I'm looking at hope and saying, here's a tangible, through faith, of of God. I, I don't know. It's just that you're saying 2020 was so bad. But this... I, I'm giving that as a, an example that we can each look to and uh, see moments of... Right how we're horrible to each other not as horrible as as we are to each other it's god himself who just who who condoned much more terrible things in the old testament and okay so i'm gonna lay this one flat out all right you gotta make a decision either old testament is god moving in a way with a broken people okay and god is there god exists Or Old Testament is a recording of people doing horrible things, creating a religion and and attributing it to God to justify. You want to be mad at God and deny God at the same time with the charge that you're leveling. I know. 
I, I don't think I'm a very good atheist then. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I I'm way too angry <laughs> and horrified to be a real I mean I'm I guess well I I would I would offer that same charge to uh Richard Dawkins with the God Delusion. Because he wants there to be a god that he can be angry at, but he also wants to then attribute uh, all of the horrors of religion and and all of that to God while holding and espousing that well, humanity can. And you be can kind of get no. So you want he he There's does he wants people of, not to believe in God because this is what God is supposed to have done, and this is what people do who believe in God. That's what he's saying, and. And I guess I'm not being as clear as Dawkins. I think Dawkins is pretty clear, but... He's got a lot of flaws in his argu- argument. Even other atheists have issues with his arguments. Right. I guess let's just say that I, I'm i not exactly... I'm not a hard and fast atheist. But it's like, it's possible he's there. But if he's there, is this who he is? So it's kind of like there's two different ideas going on. <laughs> Either God is this way, and I have I can't reconcile myself to it, or he's there, but not this way, and maybe more the way you're saying, or more the or even like more deistic, you know, more backed off, or he doesn't exist at all. And I, I guess that's the one I, I can't really imagine. So I don't know. It's kind of hard to talk about this stuff at all with those three things going on in my head all at one time. <laughs> so. I think what you're looking for is called agnostic. <laughs> well, I know that. Yeah, right. But, I mean, if if, if on one side, you're... one side is atheism and one side is Christianity, the scale is agnosticism in between. So I'm, so it's sort of a scale and... of agnosticism. Sure. And that seems to be where you're at because you want God to not exist, but you also want to be mad at God. And this is my summary of what I'm seeing. And I think that's something you need to explore and wrestle with more of where where are you? Yes. I am angry at what God's supposed to have done. And what people have done and... throughout history for him. And what people continue to do and believe and say for him. And I think I sent you a video this week. Mm-hmm. I sent you a video from 10 Minute Bible Hour, Matt Whitman, who's someone I follow and have interacted with. Great guy, great podcast, great YouTube series. And the video was an exploration of the word evangelical and kind of where that segment of the church is. And I think that's a value even for you, which is why I sent it to you, because it's an exploration of and question of what is the church right now in this age? Who is God in this age? And even a beginning exploration of how have we, you could say, nationalized the church or tied it to Americanisms? Uh, How have we gone away from what scripture is and tied it to prosperity gospel stuff how have we moved away from christ yeah. and i think that video explores that a little bit with his question of is is the word evangelical dead 
or does it need to be dead? I think that's part of where you and I are at in these discussions is exploring and asking what is what is true faith? And some of the things that I see from you, from your, forgive me for this, your upbringing and your interaction with the church are those promises that are, are tied into uh, the nationalistic idea of the church, that are tied into the power of Christianity over what is the humility of Christianity. And I, I see Christianity from a humility point. Because at no point do I think God goes, hey, great, you're going to have everything you want. Just follow me. And you just do. I think he shows us that you follow me, it's going to cost. There's a cost that the disciples paid. There's a cost that followers paid through a majority of the early church. I, I see that more in how I read the New Testament. Maybe that's just me, but even in the Old Testament, that's what I see, is that God's working and moving to bring humility and grace into this age and he's using a broken people i think we need to tackle question three next week yeah i'm not sure we tackled question two adequately with a good answer but it was a good discussion yeah we kind of got there does yeah. god change that's what we asked and we threw that around for a long time <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we came to a satisfactory answer. And you, you threw me off a handful of times. Good job. <laughs> a couple moments where I was like, uh, yeah, words. <laughs> no, it was a good discussion, and it's good food for thought. But, yeah, I should probably go back to my family now. <laughs> for, for the whole two people listening, hi, Mom, hi, Dad, please do take a moment, rate, review, and sus- rate, review, and if you think we've earned it, and it's worth joining in. Subscribe along so you can follow as uh, Lindsay and I keep, I don't know. Doing whatever we're doing. I think we're having good discussions. <laughs> I hope we're having good discussions. At some point, we are going to move into, I think the next two episodes we have are you and I going through, not next two immediate, but once we get through the faith discussions, it's going to be a discussion on pop culture and those parent jokes that go over the kids' heads while drinking aviation mm-hmm. gin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we then need to, because that'll probably put us in the march by the time this is all said and done, I think we also need to do the book discussion. Right. We'll get there. So. We will. I think that once we get past faith, those are our next two podcasts. All right, Lindsay. Yep. Are we still friends? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> you promised me coffee. You had no coffee for me this oh, morning. Wait. I had to get my own. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. No, you're fine. So, no, I, I appreciate and value these conversations. Thank you, Lindsay. You're welcome, Rob. Talk to you later. Bye.